you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 1. You can follow along as I read. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, his son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Our Father... Help us, please. Help me. Bless our time now. Lord, would you draw all attention to your Son? Would you cause each and every one of us to look away from whatever would occupy our minds, whatever would occupy our attention, and would you cause us to behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world? Would you cause us to realize that we can look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, And we thank you for what you want us to see. We ask you that you would cause these things to take place by your own power, not by my power, not by our power, but by your power, Lord, would you be honored and glorified and would we receive the greatest of good from this time we're about to spend together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We are actually studying the book of James on Saturday mornings, excuse me, on Sunday mornings. And the reason that I had us look in the book of Hebrews is I I think it's necessary lest we should miss the forest for the trees, that we go back um, regularly and understand that in order to enter into the message of the book of James, you must understand the message of the book of Hebrews. I just don't have the time this morning to help you to understand that your Bible is logically laid out from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, When you get to the book of Hebrews, when you get to the book of Hebrews, God is speaking to us. God is expressing to us. God is showing to us the reality of the promises that he has made. In the book of Hebrews, he makes it very clear that the reality is everything that must be accomplished for you to be a new creature, to have a relationship with God, and to grow in grace And in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, he himself has accomplished. Now, you can notice this simply in verse 3 of chapter 1, who being the brightness of his glory, speaking of our Lord Jesus, who is basically, you can see in the Lord Jesus the glory of God the Father. He is the express image of his person. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And upholding all things by the word of his power. And then notice, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. 
where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. You, you, you need to understand where you're sitting this morning. You need to understand that everything that's in your Old Testament pictures a reality far greater than the picture. When you see in the Pentateuch, when you see the tabernacle, and you see the Levitical priesthood, and you see the offerings, you see the high priest presenting these offerings, all of these are a picture of what Christ has done for us, who Christ is for us. Our Lord Jesus is not only the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, he is also the only one qualified to present that offering before God the Father. He is the only one that can go into the Holy of Holies made without hands and present his own blood. Understand that when the priest appeared before God on the behalf of the people, he went where they could not go for them. But then he came from there to come back out to them for God to speak to them and literally to pour out a blessing in their life. This is all pictured, but it's a very significant reality that's all pictured in your Old Testament. But what God wants you to understand is this. The Lord Jesus Christ has done this for you. He has done this for you. If nobody else in this room, if nobody else in the world were to trust Christ for their salvation, he still would have died just for you. And he doesn't just go before God the Father on your behalf to plead his righteousness instead of your wickedness. He comes from God the Father because God wants him to, to pour out a whole new life into your life. That's what the book of Hebrews makes very clear to us. But when you come to the book of James, now, by the way, go to the end of the book of Hebrews, just so you can see this. Again, it's one thing for me to say it. It's another thing for you to see it. I don't have time to go through all of it again. Obviously, we cannot preach all the way through the book of Hebrews again right now. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, speaking about what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing, notice what it says in verse 20. Now the God of peace, what a tremendous way for God to be expressed to us. Not the God of holiness, not the God of righteousness, not the God of wrath, the God of peace. Now he is holy, he is righteous, and there is a wrath coming for those who will reject his desire to rescue them. But notice how he wants you to see him. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, notice this, Make you perfect, complete. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, in my Bible, I have to turn a page. Hebrews is on one page. I turn the page, and now I'm in the book of James. And what God wants you to realize through the book of James is this whole new quality of life that God has purchased for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and that Christ is pouring out into our lives is not, listen to me, please hear me, is not theoretical. It's not pie in the sky and it's not for some day. It's for your everyday life. What good is a salvation that doesn't actually make a difference? 
If you are a new creature, old things are passed away. They're gone. Behold, all things are become new. They're already new. And God wants you to understand through the book of James, God wants you to be able to find out whether your everyday life is what God wants it to be or not. Now, the beginning of the book of James starts out immediately with great, high, important things. We're not going to go back into chapter one. We just don't have time to go back into chapter one. But listen, please hear me. God is not interested in you pretending something. Do you understand? Hear me again. God is not interested in you pretending anything. If what you have isn't what God wants you to have, talk to him about it. Be honest with yourself. There are so many truly born-again people in the world today who are living weak, anemic, powerless lives and settling for it because they're ashamed to go to God and be honest with him about what's going on in their life. But see, he didn't come to save you to leave you like that. He came to literally set you free from sin. If it's not your everyday life, talk to him about it. When he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who upbraideth lot, but giveth liberally to all men. He means that. But he says, when you ask, ask in faith, nothing wavering. In other words, when you talk to God, trust him. It is so typical of Christians in America to assess their prayers based upon their understanding instead of upon God's power. That's why we're so weak when we pray. That, listen, this is why when you pray with someone, people typically couch their prayers with, with escape clauses. Do you understand what I'm saying? Instead of saying specifically what they believe God would want to accomplish in their life, when they pray with others, they pray in such a way that if it doesn't happen, they will have said, well, we did kind of allow for that. Remember when we were praying together? Why do we do that? Why? Why would we expect in our prayer life that God would want us to pray out of weakness or out of um, uh, failure? He doesn't want us to because he wants us to trust him. Now, let me say this. There's so much abuse of this. The health and wealth and prosperity gospel in America, the name it and claim it group of people in America that would say God wants you to claim your Rolls Royce and your Rolex and your vacation home on the beach and the one in the mountains and the... That's just nonsense. That's just nonsense. That's simply praying to consume things upon your own lust. But God knows the things you have need of before you ask. He knows what you need. And he wants you to come boldly to the throne of grace, to find help that you would go to him, that he would be able to make the difference in your life that quite honestly, I can't make in your life, that you can't make in your life, that we together cannot make in our own lives. God wants to make that difference in our lives. And what he wants us to have is the reality of his salvation worked out in our lives every day by his power, not by your power. Now, it's important that we understand this because as you get to chapter, four, excuse, chapter 2, verse 14, turn now to James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Because what he's going to do is he's going to point out one more thing that is so often missing in the life of Christians. Notice how it starts this. It says, what doth it profit, my brethren? 
In other words, what benefit is there, though a man say that he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? In other words, in other words, now there are two errors, and I don't have the time to go into great detail. There are two primary errors in the preaching of the gospel. One of them is what we would call Cain worship. And what that means is this. You do good enough stuff, you can then approach God, right? Cain brought the, the work of his hands, the best. And by the way, I don't have time to go into all of this, but I am quite confident that Cain brought probably the best offering you've ever seen in your life. And God, at the very beginning, said to Cain and to all of us, let's get this out of the way right now. You cannot approach me in your good works. You cannot approach me in your good works because your good works fall short. You're going to have to come by the blood, right? Abel came by the blood. And but he said to Cain this, Cain, don't be upset. Don't be angry. Just come like Abel did. Just come by the blood. You can come the same way he came. Amen? And everybody can. Yes? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But he said, all that will come unto me I will in no wise cast out. Boy, I wish some of you would understand this. Some of you are sitting where you're sitting right now with such terrible failure in your life, perhaps hypocrisy, perhaps some kind of terrible sin that nobody else knows about, and you think, well, God could not forgive me. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Not only can he, he wants to forgive you. Christ came to save sinners, not good people. Christ did not save me because I was a good person. I wasn't a good person. I'm still not a good person left to myself. In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Even now, even today, in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Christ came to save sinners. He came to not only, listen, save us from our sins, but to save us from ourselves. To make this change and to make this difference in our lives. So what he says is this, don't pretend to be a Christian. That's what he says, right? What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, this is what he's saying. Cain brought his works before God to be justified, and you cannot be saved by your works. But if you are saved, if you are a new creature, then there will be good works in your life. Amen? They will not justify you. I need you to turn to a couple passages that will help you to understand this. Turn to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you'll turn quickly, I'll preach quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice this. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It comes by you trusting what God has done for you, not of works, lest any man should boast. But notice this. 
for we are his workmanship. In other words, if Christ is the one making the difference, then the difference is being made. But notice this, created in Christ Jesus, you and I, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But notice that the walking in good works does not save you. The walking in good works is the result of being a new creature. Now, what James is saying is this. There are many people who are not approaching God like Cain. They're not trying to earn favor with God. They went to church some time ago. They walked down an aisle some time ago. They made a profession of salvation some time ago. They went back and lived their life the way they always lived their life. They go back and do the same things that they've always done. But if you talk to them about their salvation, they'll say, oh, no, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm a new creature. I remember. I remember it was, let's see, wow, 15 years ago now. 15 years ago. Yeah, I remember. I remember I prayed that prayer. I I was baptized, preacher. I was baptized. I'm I'm, I'm a Christian. But see, they're not. I'm not being mean when I say that. There's just been no change. There's been no change. If, If you really say that you're a new creature, does your life agree that you are a new creature? Now, let me say this. God is not willing that any should perish. God does not, oh boy, I wish you understood. I really wish I could make this so crystal clear. God does not want anybody to play church. God does not want anybody to play church. Don't play church. Don't play church. Don't. Let God save you. Let him make you a new creature. If you have anything other than a new life, what you have is a joke. Now, listen, I grew up going to a church in New England where a uh, social gospel was preached. In other words, be nice, do, do better this week than you did last week, Take, be good to your neighbors. I mean, really, there's nothing wrong with being good to your neighbors. All these things. And if you do enough good, then your good will outweigh your bad, and that'll be fine. Now, let me say this. Here's the problem with that. My parents owned uh, the general store in town. And where I grew up in Vermont, the general store, it was the store. You know, now Walmart's come in, and it's not the same anymore, Right? But back then, you could buy, and I'm not going to exaggerate, you could buy everything from a hoe handle to a steak, right? Literally everything. You could buy shoes in, in, in the store. So I saw everybody that went to church on Sunday, I saw them Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday in my parents' store. And here's what I noticed. They were different when they weren't at church. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy, right? Now, let me say this. I don't think they meant to be hypocrites. This is what I realized, though. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't need to go to church on Sunday and pretend to be something that I'm not on Monday. And so I rejected not God, I rejected Christianity, thinking, by the way, that it was just false until I met Jesus. And then I realized, oh, oh, these poor people did not know the gospel. They did not realize that God wanted to actually set them free. Or maybe they did and they didn't care. I don't know what had happened in their life, why they were willing to go to church week after week after week in some vain attempt to win some kind of favor with God. But that's not what God wants. It's not what what God is after at all. The reason that we've assembled here together is because Jesus is the Christ. And because the word of God is quick and powerful. And the word of God will make the difference in our life that I can't make in my life, that you can't make in our life. Again, that we collectively can't make in our life, but we can trust God to make that change in our life. And this is what he wants you to understand. Now, I want you to look at another passage with me. Turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And verse 16. Galatians chapter 2. 
and verse 16. Knowing that, a, that, excuse me, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now go down to verse 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. When the Lord Jesus says to the Father, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if I don't have to die and be separated from you, let's do it that way. If it were, listen, if it were possible, the father would have said, you don't have to die. Get up, son. Get up. We're not going to do it this way. They can just keep the law. But we can't keep the law. We can't keep the law. You haven't kept the law. I haven't kept the law. So Christ died to save us. But... In James, let's go back to James chapter 2, and we're just going to be here for a moment. James chapter 2. And verse 15. So we just saw, can faith without work save you is the question. Now it says in verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and you say unto them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Now, this is a pretty significant question, right? So here's the person. The person comes to your house, and they are starving, literally starving. And it says, by the way, it says that they're naked and destitute of food. So they literally have no clothing and nothing to eat. Yes? And this is what you say. We'll just use Kenny. Okay, Kenny, do you mind? Of course not. Right? So, uh, so Kenny comes, and he comes over, and he's, got, and he's naked. And he's got nothing to eat. And I say, oh, Kenny, it's so good to see you. And he goes, he says, uh, Chuck, can you help me out? Could you maybe give me a shirt, uh, maybe a loaf of bread? And I say to him, oh, Kenny, be warm <laughs> and be filled. See you later. Right? Have I done it? Listen, listen. Does the warm, fuzzy thought do him any good at all? Does it change his garments? Does it give him food? And the answer is no. It's absurd. We would recognize that it is absurd to tell someone that you want good for them and not do good for them at the same time. Yes? Yes? Well, what God is saying is when you say you trust God, but you don't trust God, you're lying. You can say it all day long. You can pretend all day long. But if it's pretend, God knows the difference. And it is of no value to you nor anybody else. Let's, let's look because it goes on to talk about That's exactly what it says. Verse 17, even so, it, if it hath, excuse me, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. What? Being alone. So faith must come first, right? By grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, 
it is the gift of God. You must have faith first. But if you really have faith, your life will agree with that. The way you live your life will be different. Now, here's the thing. Not because you make the difference, but because God actually makes the difference in your life. This is why God is teaching us this in the book of James. What God wants you to understand is this. Many people, I'm going to use uh, uh, Mrs. Price, Charles Price's wife. I can't think of her first name right now. Mrs. Price, uh, they are in their 80s now, right? They're in their 80s now. I, I don't know how long ago it was the first time that they came here. Probably 10, 15 years ago was the first time that we met them here. And she was here, and he was here, and he's a tremendous blessing, and, and, and we really loved having them with us. They were collecting money at that time uh, for Bibles, and, and we were involved in, in, in being involved in the ministry that God had them involved with. And after she was here, she was someplace, and having been the wife of a preacher for God only knows how many years, and I don't want to exaggerate, but probably 30, 40, 50 years, she got saved. And she, they came back. And the difference in her countenance was obvious. The joy in her face that lacked the first time she came. You know, one of the things that always makes me nervous is the old, miserable Christian, right? Nobody, nobody, under, nobody ever met any of those people? Some of you have met those people. Some of you have. Some of them, you might meet them in the mirror sometimes, okay? The old, miserable Christian, they're getting older and they hate everything, right? They just hate everything. They're just never, there's no joy. If you have no joy, you're not a Christian. If there's, no, if, there's no, if there's no worship in your worship, you're not a Christian. If God has not given you, literally, not a plastic, phony smile. If God has not given you real, genuine joy, you're not a Christian. And let me tell you this, he wants to change that. He changed it for her. God only knew. We could go through a list. Yes, we could just go through a list of people who were past, let's just say 30 to be kind, right? People who were past 30 that who had professed to be saved for many years who truly were saved, who were truly born again. By the way, by conviction of what the word said about what they didn't have. And this is what God, God in the book of James is not telling you these things to beat us up, to make us unhappy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't die like this. Don't pretend. You don't have to pretend. If you really trust me, it will be evident in your life because I have the power to change you, right? Remember, the high priest didn't just go in with the blood for you. He came out with the blessing of God to you. And if that's what's going on in your life, praise God. And if it's not what's going on in your life, pray to God. And ask him to make that difference. Now, by the way, let me say this. There are, I believe that there are many people here today who are really new creatures who simply don't have the joy that God wants you to have. Because you don't understand that God wants to change your daily life and you live miserably on the earth. But you don't have to. You don't have to. But I'm not telling you do better. God's not telling you do better. He's saying, trust me. Trust me. Let me make the change in your life. But I really do believe that there are some, look how many people, there's a couple hundred, over a couple hundred people in the room right now. There are people here who aren't saved, who have no joy, who have no peace with God. They've gone to church many, many times in their life. They have much religion in their life, but so did Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. It doesn't matter how good you are at Bible trivia. 
It doesn't matter how much you can put down everybody else with what you've done compared to what they've done. None of that matters. Nicodemus, I promise you, would win Bible trivia every time. Do you understand? What matters is, are you really a new creature? Look, we're going to come back to this later, but I want you to notice. Let's just keep reading for just a moment. Verse 18. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Now, this is what he says. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So what is James saying? What James is saying is this. You say you have faith, and I say I have faith, but my life proves that I have faith. Your life doesn't prove that you have faith. Do you understand? Now, again, please understand. If you go back to what we looked at in in both Ephesians and in Galatians, you'll understand that you can have works without salvation, right? Exactly. Cain had works without salvation. You can have works without having salvation, but you can't have salvation without works. If you're really a new creature, then it'll be evident in your life. It will be, it'll be evident and you'll see it in your life. Now let's look, and we're just going to talk about it for just a moment. In verse 19, it says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, believing that there is a God is, you know, how, you know what's funny? In America, believing that there is a God would put you in the minority right now. Just believing that there's a God. And he says, yeah, that doesn't do you any good, though. It's like, oh, I believe in God. You say, I'm far better off than a lot of people in America. They don't even believe that there is a God. They believe that we came from monkeys. So I believe there is a God. Great. So does Satan. And he trembles about that. But it doesn't do him any good at all. Do you understand? That's what it says, right? Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, we don't have time to look at this together this morning. But if you'll go back to chapter 22, to, to Genesis chapter 22, and you'll look well, let's just do it. We do have a, we do have a turn, turn to, to, uh, to chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And we won't take a lot of time here, but I want you to see this. Abraham is going to go offer Isaac. He's not going to go offer Isaac, but he's willing to go offer Isaac. Now, if you had the time to, to really understand this, and you should go back and, and read this for yourself. If you had the time to really go back and, 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 and get this all in your heart and mind, you would understand that for years, literally years and years and years, God has promised Isaac to Abraham. And now Isaac has been born. And now God says to Abraham, I want you to go offer up Isaac. I want you to go kill Isaac. And by the way, listen, not just go stab him, I want you to go make him a burnt offering. And a burnt offering is exactly what you would think it is. I want you to go make a burnt offering out of him. Now, I want you to notice what he says in verse 5. This is it's in, in verse 4. Then on the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So he's going, and he's going to do what God told him to do. And Abraham said unto his young men, these are men that he brought with him, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad, right, his teenage son, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And come again to you. Read it again. I and the lad, Isaac and I, will go yonder and I will kill him and I will come back by myself. That's not what he says. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So I'm going to go. Isaac's going to go. I'm going to come back and Isaac's going to come with me. Amen? Even though God told him and said, go up there where I show you, you to go, you go there and offer him as a burnt offering. And what, and, what, and what Abraham understands is this. He is the son of promise. 
We tried to work this out in our own strength. By the way, many Christians have tried to work out the things that God wants to do in their life in their own strength and fail miserably doing so. But he says, now we've done it the way you wanted it to be done. Sarah had a, had a baby herself. When I was, she was 90, I was 100. We had a child. This is that child. You promised that he is the son of promise. You promised that all of the descendants are coming from him. So he's got to live through this. I don't know what has to happen, but I trust you in what you're going to do. But how do we know that he really believed God? Because that's what James is saying. It's saying Abraham believed God. How do we know he believed him? And this is how. When he raised the knife to plunge it into Isaac. That's how we know he believed him. He didn't just say he believed God. His actions indicated that he really did. And by the way, God stops him and says, and says you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Why? Because Jesus is going to do this. Amen? You don't have to offer your son because I'm going to offer my son. But I know that you trust me. I know, now, by the way, God already knew this. But now Abraham knows that he really trusts him. Now we know that Abraham trusts him. And what God wants you to have is this. He does not want you to have a pretend faith. He wants your life. Now listen, please hear me. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to be done. He wants your life to be real. Go back to James chapter 2. And I'm just going to read it. In verse 21, James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was his faith made perfect. And it was complete. He had what he said he had. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now listen, your salvation is by faith only. But the evidence of your salvation are the works that are in your life. Here's the problem. So many of us have been around people who had no faith, who had their own vain works. Yes? It's, we call it holier than thou. We've all been around people who are not new creatures, who have no grace in their life. They have no joy in their life, but they sure have a lot of rules in their life. They walk right, talk right, act right, smell right, and you don't even want to be around them. And I don't blame you. That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about a changed life. He's talking about trusting God and it being clear and evident in your life. By the way, the things that make this clear are the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. These are the things that God makes a change in your life. Now, all of you, we all know, we, all have, we have all known people in our life who pretended to be saved who were actually changed when they were saved. And I thank God for that. I thank God that you don't have to pretend when you're saved. You don't have to make it up when you're saved. And by the way, when you try to make it up when you're not saved, it's miserable for you. And by the way, you're the only one that's fooled by it. Nobody else is. Every, you know, I, again, I don't have time to go into this, but I, when I was a young, saved man, I suddenly realized that a lot of the people that I worked with who said that they were Christians weren't Christians. And I wasn't being mean-spirited or judgmental about that. It's just their life made it clear that they did not have the same thing that God had done in my life. And what's really remarkable is I, I realized that the people who were unsaved know the difference, too, because you can see the difference. Now, at the end of this, in verse 26, and we'll close with this. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 
So saying that you believe without the evidence. Now, let me, let's just stop for just a moment. This is kind of a morbid thought, and so I don't want to go a long way with it. But I don't know how many of you have ever been around someone who's died. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of a, of a dead body. But you can tell. You can tell when you're in the presence of a dead body. When the body doesn't have the spirit, it's, it's clear that it's gone. It's clear that that's just a shell. Probably almost everybody, at least everybody in the church has stood, maybe even in this church, in, at, an open, at an open casket, right? We, you know, in, a, in front of a coffin that had a body in it. And you look down, and you look down, and you recognize the person that's in there. But you also recognize they're not there. They're just not there. Now, by the way, if they're safe, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They're far better off where you're standing there, that body laying there. The person that used to be in that body is far better off than you are. And praise God for that. But that's what it looks like. Now, listen, listen. Pretending. Pretending to be a Christian without really being a Christian is just as dead as that. Just as dead as that. Do you understand? And there is a difference. There is a difference. Pretending to believe and really believing, there's a huge difference between those two things. And God, listen, through the book of James, God wants you to not have to pretend anymore. Don't pretend anymore. He wants you to understand. This is such a tremendously wonderful book for those who are young in Christ because what God wants you to understand is I want you to have the real thing and I want you to have all of it, every single bit of it. I will make the change in your life. I will make the difference in your life. Let me make that difference and people will be able to see the difference. 